Hi everybody! I know it's been a little while um, since we since we did an episode of the podcast. I still don't know what I want to do with the podcast, so I'm taking a bit of a break from the normal structure, um, as I discussed last time. And so what I have been doing while I've been brainstorming um, is I've been watching Disney movies. Um, all of the all of the animated Disney movies on Disney Plus in alphabetical order and here is my first one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen movie reviews the first the first eighteen eighteen well not exactly um i kind of bounce around a little bit but it's more or less from 101 dalmatians to bolt um is what we're looking at here so it's it's not quite A to B. There's a couple other B movies that I haven't quite hit, and there are a couple of movies within here. A lot of those, like, straight-to-DVD movies I haven't quite seen yet. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get to those uh, uh, over the course of this weird mini-series I'll be doing. Um, each movie has a rating out of 10 uh, accompanying it, and uh, it's just been it's just been fun. So, while I'm still figuring out what I want to do with the podcast, here is... Uh, episode one of Andrew watches every animated Disney movie. The first 18 movie reviews for your listening pleasure. Being locked inside your home forever leads people to do fascinating things. For example, I am currently watching every animated movie on Disney Plus, worth seeing. Well, I can't say that. I don't really know what my criteria is. I'm guessing main mainline Disney movies uh, would be would be the the criteria, like not including Pixar. Um, and I'm watching them all in alphabetical order. And so, um, I thought I would, over the course of this adventure, provide uh, little movie review blurbs for all of them. Um, and we'll just kind of see how this goes. All right, let's get started. First up on the chopping block was 101 Dalmatians, which is basically a movie about uh, a family of dogs who had 15 kids. Uh, Then somebody who likes to wear fur um, kidnapped those 15 kids and stuck them in a house with a bunch of other puppies to bring a grand total up to 99. Um, she paid two incompetent bumbling toad nonchers, uh, to kill all the puppies and to turn them into a coat. Um, they failed to do that. The puppies ran away and, uh, were, were made it back home safely. And Cruella kind of just falls down a cliffside in a car wreck. And that's pretty much the end of her story. And that's the whole movie. There's also like six minutes in there of just dogs barking to each other in this uh, in this weird chain of dog barks. So that was fun. Um, it's actually a pretty sweet story. It it doesn't do a whole lot um, as far as movies go. It's not really like... There's not a lot of story there. But what story is there is relatively sweet. Music is good. And it's one of the Disney movies where the, the opening intro will will do the thing that the job title they're crediting is like the opening credits it'll be like background and then it'll really focus in on the background and then it'll be like color by this person and then like the color will come washing in it's not the only movie to do that 
Aristocrats uh, did it too. Aristocats did it too. And I thought that was really clever and cool. Um, and it bummed me out that so far, at least, those are the only two Disney movies that have done that. Um, but yeah, it's pretty good. I'd say it's like a solid, it's like right in the middle. Um, like fucking five out of ten uh, would be would be my guess. It's 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 definitely good. Um, it's a nice, sweet film. It's pretty uh, inoffensive, and it, it's kind of amazing to me that Cruella Deville has such a like legacy of being just this this incredible villain when she herself didn't really do her worst crime is dog napping. And, like, vehicular, um, reckless driving. That's pretty much it. That's, like, the worst thing that she ever does. They call her, like, Devil Lady. And granted, what she wants to do is horrific, but that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all she does. So, yeah, 5 out of 10. We'll say for 101 Dalmatians. Next up was a Goofy movie, which, uh, had this opening song that I had completely forgotten about. Um... It's like it's like one more day, or um, at the end of the day, it's 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 lame as in in mannerisms, but it's like the last day of school, and um, it's really harkens back to like musicals, um, which is really fun for me, and it made me sit there and be like, the Goofy movie would make an excellent like Broadway musical, um, at least based on that that first song. Don't get me wrong, the music in this movie is fantastic. You got the two Powerline songs, you got. Um, on uh, on the open road, you've got um, uh, the one with like Goofy and his dad or Goofy and Max on the river while they're sitting on top of the car. Um, that I can't remember the name of, but that one's really good too. The performances are just really solid. A Goofy movie is one of my favorites. So I mean, we're talking like eight out of ten. Like this movie's this movie's really solid. I I'd give it like a bonus point from like the seven out of ten up to an eight uh because it's the only movie i've seen so far that had me like in tears from laughing and that's at the very end when goofy's putting the bumper back on his car and then he just stands there with like this big goofy grin on his face and then his car just fucking explodes and it's not like a cartoon explosion where it like kind of takes a couple seconds it's in like two frames this car explodes and it's just like and it's just like gone and Goofy's shoes are on the ground as he's just launched into the air and it's just so sudden and out of nowhere that it made me laugh so fucking hard so that was that was phenomenal uh that movie is the movie's really solid it's a really great like summer road trip movie uh there's not really like the villain is the interpersonal relationship between Goofy and his son like the, the he's trying to get he's trying to connect and nothing's working and it's it's the con it's the family conflict that that really sells that movie and it's really well done and it bums me out that Max is no longer Goofy's canonical son because Disney doesn't want to admit that Goofy fucks because Goofy super fucks not only did he fuck before to get Max but in an extremely Goofy movie oh boy Goofy fucks uh, but we'll get to that in in the extremely Goofy movie but yeah eight out of ten for a Goofy movie wonderful film one of my absolute favorites. Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Uh, it's basically two movies kind of stapled together. Um, and each one's like 40 minutes long. Neither of them are particularly good. Um, it's not really worth seeing. 
I can't recommend it. It's like a fucking 3 out of 10. And one of those points is just the headless horseman at the end of the Ichabod thing. Um, and another one of those points is the fact that fucking Bing Crosby is the voice of Ichabod and the narrator of that story. So two points right there. The only other point I could probably give it is that animation-wise, it's pretty good. That's pretty much it. Uh, the, the Mr. Toad adventure is very forgettable, even though it did inadvertently spawn, like, the best fucking Disneyland ride, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And it was the place where we got the song from, like, we're currently on our way to nowhere in particular, like that song. Um, it's from that movie. So that's kind of nice. But the Mr. Toad thing is basically like a kind of snoozy British crime drama thing about a stolen car that doesn't really do much for anybody anywhere. Um, and then the Ichabod thing is all about how Mr. Ichabod wants to, you know, get with this chick. Um, and he's going up against like this dude that can like throw a beer keg around like with one hand as he's insanely strong and eventually what happens is uh he tells the spooky story about the headless horseman and then ichabod just gets got and killed by the headless horseman and that's pretty much the end of the movie and bing crosby's like it's getting spooky around here i'm gonna hit the road you know see you next time. i fucking love bing crosby like oh my god i know he i think he beat his kids and that's terrible so he as a person probably wasn't great but he did a lot of like really iconic songs and movies that I that I've enjoyed and he he did great as Mr. Ichabod but I'll be damned if he didn't like just fucking like give himself a pair of crutches and the only thing he ever did like musically in this besides just straight up singing he was going like you know like that fucking Bing Crosby style it's like listen to my rich voice do you hear what I hear just classic shit but yeah, 3 out of 10. Like, if you're watching all of the Disney movies, then sure. But don't go out of your way to watch this one. It's just... It's like a fucking Sunday afternoon on ABC. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There's literally nothing else on. The commercials will be more interesting than the movie. That's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. 3 out of 10. Just fucking skip it. Not worth it. Aladdin, 1992, the original uh, movie. Now, I know a lot of people love this film, and it is their favorite. And to be fair, it's pretty solid. Um, I mean, we were talking like, fuck, 7 out of 10, I'd say. Um, and it's not, it's not that I don't enjoy the film. Robin Williams, again, like there were a couple of moments with Robin Williams that had me just straight up laughing. And it's one of the bits is when Aladdin's like, I don't think you can get us out of here. And Robin Williams is like, you woke me up out of the lamp. You get your three wishes. So sit down. And he just fucking screams at Aladdin. And I loved that. Um, I thought that was really good. There's a couple of references that Robin Williams does that I'm willing to bet hard money that kids at the time didn't get. And there's no way in fuck the kids of now will get it. There's just like no way. There's no way. Um, like, fucking Igor. Um, it's like, I can't bring people back from the dead. It's, it's too much work, and I don't like it. Like, that bit that bit made me laugh, too. So, Rob Williams fucking steals the whole show. Um, again, a lot of good songs. It amazes me how fucking often Jim Cummings appears in these early films. Granted, 
he's in Goofy Movie and Extreme Goofy Movie and Aladdin. So, like, it's kind of on me that I've seen so many Jim Cummings movies so quickly. And I love Jim Cummings. He's an absolute treasure. But he's, like, boy, he's everywhere um, in these movies. So, Aladdin, yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, I could probably do shot-for-shot shot comparisons between Jafar's face and Scar from The Lion King and be like, it's the exact same facial expression. They're so similar in so many ways. Just like the whole, like, the way they deliver their lines, the way they hold themselves, the way their face contorts. It's a lot of really strong similarities. Um, which is not a bad thing. Scar is, you know, one of my favorites. The Lion King is, like, my all-time favorite film. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really good. It's a good ride. I think plot-wise, it's, it makes sense. Um, I like Jasmine a lot. Uh, I thought she was really good. I haven't seen Aladdin sincerely since I was a child, so it was nice to come back to it and be like, oh yeah, no, this is just, this is just solid. I love the Cave of Wonders, um, and I just really enjoyed Robin Williams' performance, and I'm a little curious how he was able to maintain his genie powers out of the lamp. I don't know the logic of that, but that's fine. Um, I have yet to see the 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 two sequels, uh, The Return of Jafar and King of Thieves. Um, I know Robin Williams returns for The King of Thieves, but he didn't for Return of Jafar, and I believe he was recast by Dan um, Castellano, the guy that voices Homer on The Simpsons. So, But yeah, Aladdin, what'd I give it? 7 out of 10? I'd say that's fair. Um, I don't enjoy it nearly as much as a goofy movie, uh, but it's still a very, very fine, fine Alice in Wonderland, the movie, is, um, it's hard to, it's hard to really review that because the book itself is such a kind of clusterfuck of random side stories that don't really lend itself to a cohesive whole. There's no point to Alice in Wonderland. And I would say that the movie kind of captures that pretty well. There's not really a point to it. It's not a coming of age story. It's not like she learns a lesson or does something along the way. She just kind of bumbles her way across Wonderland and then eventually leaves and go, oh, that was fun. And that's pretty much it. It's just a, a whimsical series of events that hold no bearing on any of the characters involved. Um, and as far as that goes, it does it pretty well. Um, that's one thing you could say for the live action remakes was that they tried to put a fucking plot in there. And have her be like this destined hero to slay the Jabberwocky. Like, they they attempted to go somewhere with it. But the original source material, it's just a loose string of stories with some songs involved. Um, and it's not bad, by any means. I mean, we're talking, like, probably probably a 5 out of 10. Um, I think, I think like, if I had to... If it ties with 101 Dalmatians, it's probably, it's probably around there, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of iconic, really solid moments from Alice in Wonderland. And it kick-started, like, a bunch of really good things. I mean, the rides, the songs, the Cheshire Cat, like, these things are are pivotal. And you can't deny that Alice in Wonderland has had a, an impact on pop culture um, in a lot of areas. So, as far as the movie goes, it's not inoffensive. You just don't go in expecting a lot. Like, no one's going to leave with a moral. No one's going to come out a better person from the story. It's just a fun kind of kind of a trip that you just wipe your brain clean and it just plays out in front of you. So, yeah, 5 out of 10. Maybe, maybe 6 if I'm feeling kind, but I'm not. 5 out of 10. 
extremely goofy movie. As good as a goofy movie is a high school movie, so too is an extremely goofy movie. A pretty good college movie. Um, it, it really... It's fun because I like... I think the reason why these goofy movies are so successful is that they take Goofy, a character with like basically nothing to them besides their kind of bumbling, like mean well nature... And they give them things like, I can't connect with my son and I'm a bad father stories, like a Goofy movie. Or, my only child has gone off to college and now I'm dealing with the most depressing empty nest syndrome I've ever seen in a film. And those are those are like the things that they really focus on. And Goofy like loses his job because he's so depressed and he has to go back to college because he can't make any other thing of himself. And he goes to the same college as his son and his son's like super pissed because he's like trying to become his own thing and not live in his dad's shadow and it turns out his dad is like really good at all the things that max wants to be good at and there's there's a lot of really good conflict there there's also a really good soundtrack the animation is like weirdly amazing which is funny to me because this was a straight to dvd film um it was actually goofy movie and an extremely goofy movie and pretty much every like straight to dvd sequel like bambi 2 and bell's magic world and all that crap were animated by a, a, a studio called Disney Toon Studio, which no longer exists. Um, it died in 2018, I want to say, like a couple of years ago. Um, but they were responsible for like all of these movies, like Lion King 1 and Half and Lion King 2 and the Planes movies. They did all these things. And it's, it's kind of sad because it's like, there are some legitimately good gems in this studio and like the goofy movies are phenomenal i know king of thieves is is like reviewed by people is pretty good i just haven't seen it yet um it's you know there's there's some good stuff an extremely goofy movie is definitely one of those films um it makes sense plot wise the the characters are really strong um as much as i was talking about jim cummings before it's basically just jim cummings and jeff bennett talking to each other and like 12 different characters throughout the film um which is really 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 nice to give goofy a love interest um, but she actually makes sense in, in the movie, and I feel like their relationship is, like, solid, um, and I like that a lot, and, yeah, it's just, it's just really good, 7 out of, 7 out of 10, um, it's, it's not as good as the first one, I it's, think, in terms of, like, like, lessons involved, and I think the songs for the first one are a bit better, because they were originals, um, to the first one, and the second one kind of relied a little bit more heavily on, um, like, disco standards, um, they're not bad disco standards, but they're disco standards. Um, at least I think they're, they were songs that existed before an extremely goofy movie. I could be wrong, um, but I'm pretty sure they exist before. If they are original, then I'll, I'll bump up extremely goofy movie to, um, to an eight out of 10. But right now I'm going to put it one step below goofy movie. Still an incredibly good movie. Um, I would say it is just as good as Aladdin. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that seven out of 10. So gotta love those goofy movies. Aristocats is so fucking similar to 101 Dalmatians, um, just kind of better, which is weird. So, like, to me, the, like, the locations and the general story is pretty similar. Pets live at home, pets get taken from home, pets return home. That's, that's the plot of both movies. So there's a lot of parallels here. Um, 101 Dalmatians, they were kidnapped to be killed and turned into coats. Aristocats, they were thrown out of the house uh, so the butler could um, get the, the, the will 
be, become the recipient, the beneficiary of the the will of his elderly um, master. I guess. Now, here's the thing about Edgar's thought process with with this is that he he gets the shit after the cats die is is when he gets the shit. But he gets rid of the cats like the next fucking day. And What's-Her-Face is still alive and kicking. Like, he's still not going to get the stuff. Now, if he killed his owner and the cats, then you'd have something. But he didn't do that. He just got rid of the cats. He didn't even kill the cats. And even when the cats come back, he still can't bring himself to actually murder the cats. He tried to ship them to Timbuktu in Africa. And that's eventually what happens to Edgar as Edgar gets thrown into the chest and then he gets shipped to Africa and presumably dies in transit because there weren't any fucking air holes in that chest. So he's he's pretty much dead. I want to point out that up until this point, no villain has canonically died on, on camera. Fucking Corella didn't. Fucking Jafar just goes into the, the fucking bottle and he comes back in return of Jafar. He did not canonically die. Um, I don't think anybody dies in Alice in Wonderland. It's uh, like I, it's been a little bit since I saw that one, um, but I didn't want to rewatch it because I've seen it like this year, um, and nobody dies in extremely goofy movie or a goofy movie. So, like nobody's canonically died. Not one villain has canonically died. Um, the movie I'm in the middle of watching right as I'm recording this, I'm pretty sure the villain dies, but I can't remember, so I need to rewatch it. Aristocats, yeah, it's basically the same as 101 Dalmatians. It's a little bit better. Because you've got some jazzy swing numbers. The Thomas O'Malley song and Everybody Wants to Be a Cat are just really solid. Um, I, I enjoy those songs a lot. Um, I also enjoy the two dogs. Um, I'm the leader and I'll say what it was. The little cricket bug. Those two dogs are fucking great. And that's why I think it's better than 101 Dalmatians. Because 101 Dalmatians has like a supporting cast of animals. But I feel like the supporting cast of animals in Aristocats are more fleshed out. And are more interesting than the ones in 100 Ruined Dalmatians. Which is why Aristocats gets a solid 6 out of 10. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I would uh, I would recommend it. I also love watching these old Disney movies. And seeing like the original sketch lines. I think those are just fucking so good. Atlantis The Lost Empire. Is one of those Disney movies that I feel is criminally underrated. Came out in like 2001. And was pretty much instantly forgotten. Um, not only by Disney, but by just like the collective ethos of, of humanity. And it's such a good movie. Like the, the cast of characters is really strong. You don't get like a lot of time with them, but what little time you do have with them, you get a pretty good idea of who they all are kind of right out the gate. Um, granted, they have, like, really strong character traits, which makes it easier. I mean, that's what you do when you do when you have, like, a limited amount of time to introduce your characters. You gotta really kind of hone in on, like, two or three key things about them. But, like, you remember Dr. Sweet, and you remember Milo Thatch, and you remember Vinny, and you remember everybody. Mole. You, you, you remember them all. And it's, it's really good. I know, like, a lot of people are, you know, shitting on Disney for doing all of their live-action remakes, and rightly so. They really need to stop. But if they're going to live-action remake something, it should be fucking Atlantis The Lost Empire. That shit would look amazing in live-action. And it looks really good here. I think the reason I, one of the reasons I enjoy it so much is, um, like, the rich world-building and how it feels, like, legitimate, you know? They didn't half-ass the creation of Atlantis. They, like, really went with their own kind of vision for it. 
Um, and it's different and it's fun and I, I very much enjoy it. And the performances are really solid. Um, you've got Michael J. Fox and Jim Varney and just a lot of really good voice actor David Ogden Steers. Really classic stuff uh, all over this place. Cree Summers fucking kills it. Leonard Nimoy. Oh my God. It's such a, it's such a great cast. And one thing I really enjoy about it is that this is what 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea fucking wish it was. Like, you can even look at parallels between their original submarine and, like, the Nautilus design that Disney had for their movie. Like, a lot of pretty strong parallels. But this is a, a, is a lovely blend of, like, Journey to the Center of the Earth and 20,000 Leagues. It kind of it kind of does both. It's, it's very Jules Verne-inspired, but I feel like it is better than the source material. So, I give this movie, like, a solid 7 out of 10. It's, it's really strong. Um, I don't think it gets more... Because, like, the plot's a little disjointed, and I wish I had more time with the characters. Props for being the first Disney movie that I've reviewed in this thing, where the villain does straight up die. He gets crystallized and then fucking explodes. So, yeah, we got our, we got our first Disney death in Atlantis The Last Empire. It does have a sequel. By all accounts, it's terrible. Um, it's interesting that it's called Milo's Return. Milo stayed in Atlantis at the end of the movie. So is he returning to the surface world or are people returning to Atlantis? I don't know. I do not know. I don't really want to find out, to be perfectly honest with you, but I don't know as of right now. I'm just now kind of glancing down at like the next group of things that I need to watch and oh God. Oh no, I don't want to do Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I remember that shit being fucking terrifying. So, okay. Um, yeah, 7 out of 10 for Atlantis the Lost Empire. Really solid movie. Criminally underrated. Definitely needs more love in um in the world. But uh up next is a movie that came out in 1942. Oh boy. You may hear the fire alarm in the background of this one, but I just finished Bambi from 1942. And I'll be honest, I'd completely forgotten what that movie was about. And what it turns out to be about is, it's kind of like a, a, a love letter to how awesome nature is and how much of a fucking dick man can be. And it's pretty much the crux of it. Um, it's like Bambi's young and then his mom gets offed and then he comes back and he's older because he went off with, with Papa Deer. And I'm guessing that's where the sequel takes place is like the those formative years between like when Bambi's a fawn and when he's a when he's a buck, you know, when he's a when he's a full full grown papa deer. Um, I'm guessing I have I've never seen the sequel. Um, and until the second Mary Poppins movie, uh, Mary Poppins Returns, Bambi two held the honor of being the the having the longest gap between the first movie and the sequel uh, in history. It was like 65 years uh, passed before Bambi two came out. So that's a fun fact. Um, it's, it's really well animated, like the, the nature and stuff like that, how the trees and all the plants life looked was really good. Um, I felt like the animal mannerisms were really spot on. The water looked really good. The fire was hit or miss in certain points, but there's a wide shot at the end of all the animals, like swimming towards an island for safety where the fire has like this really cool, like grease effect that looks really good. So, um, I'll give him credit for that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty solid. Um... I imagine it was probably fairly sensational when it first came out in theaters because, like, some scenes where the, the the image is just completely engulfed in flame 
could be pretty um pretty intense, especially if you've never seen anything like that before. Um, but yeah, Bambi's fine. I mean, not much of a story. It's more of just like you know life in the woods. Um, it's almost like a slice of life thing. Uh, but there's some there's some pretty good action. I'd say it has more story than like Aristocats or 101 Dalmatians, even though those have a plot. But since they have the same plot, it's kind of like it's kind of a wash. Um, this one feels like it, it did more with um with less, if that makes sense. And I really like the characters. Um, and then there's that scene where like it's springtime and all the animals like just find partners and they just start like boning down. And I'm like, good for them. Um, yeah, no, it's it's pretty solid. Like six out of ten, I would say. Definitely, you know, a Disney classic really epitomizes what Disney uh, tends to go for. So, um, pretty pretty happy with that one. Um, yeah, good job, Disney. I've consumed like half a bottle of bourbon. Not a big bottle, mind you. Just a little. This is a little guy, like 375 milliliters divided by two. Um, but I just finished watching Beauty and the Beast, and. <clears throat> That movie's quite simply astounding. It is probably the the best movie I've seen so far, which shouldn't be all that surprising. I mean, it's it is a classic, and I know people can argue that many of the movies I've seen is a classic, but I feel like Beauty and the Beast is the first like legitimately amazing movie. Like we're talking nine out of ten. This this thing is it's Beauty and the Beast. I mean. Sure, you could talk about the potential for Stockholm Syndrome. Sure, you could talk about whatever. But the songs are perfect. The animation's incredible. The story's really solid. It's just fucking... It's Beauty and the Beast. I mean, you can't. You can't. You could. You could nitpick it. But it's just such a pleasant ride. And the, the, the cast is so good and... I'm just so enamored with the characters that you j you don't care. You don't care to nitpick it. I mean, it's not Bambi for fuck's sake. It's Beauty and the Beast. I even like the live-action remake. I thought that was really good. It's the best live-action remake they've done. And it it's probably has something to do with the fact that it's such a classic story. And you it's hard to fuck it up. It's Beauty and the Beast. It's, it's a tale as old as time. It's a song as old as rhyme. Beauty and the Beast. 9 out of 10. Fucking superb. Absolutely superb. Fantastic. I'd, I'd watch it again right now, but that's not my fate. My fate is to continue watching these fucking movies. Um, probably gonna make dinner here in a second, and then I'm gonna continue on to a movie that I recall being fairly good. And then I've got, like, two that kind of suck. Three that kind of... I don't even know. This This next stint is gonna be bizarre. Um, and I've been avoiding, like, the, the, like, the straight-to-DVD sequels, but I'm gonna be watching, like, the ones that came out in theaters, at least in this initial pass, and I'm looking at the Cars franchise and being like, oh, god. Ugh, wait, no, I skipped Bugs Life, right? So that means I can skip Cars? Or do I have to go back and watch Bugs Life? I don't even know. I'm gonna skip Pixar for right now. I'll do that on a different one. Um, just doing Core Disney. Core Disney is what we're shooting for. Alrighty. But yeah, 9 out of 10. Fucking... What can you say? It's... It's simply fantastic. Big Hero 6 wins the award for a movie that so, so, so did not need to be a fucking superhero movie, but is still, like, really good award. Just like Atlantis, 
it builds a world of San Francisco, which would be like the coolest fucking city ever if it if it actually existed. Um, it had some it has some really good moments, like when Hero takes out Baymax's uh, like human element um, and basically turns him into a killing machine. Like that's a really strong moment of the movie. It's pretty solid. Um, Sadly, for the most part, Hero's a little shit. Um, just kind of like as a character, he he has some moments, but it's like most of the characters revolve around trying to keep Hero from being a little shit. That's pretty much the movie is people trying to rein in Hero, and he never really gets there. Um, he the the movie just kind of like glosses over that, and it's not a bad movie. It's pretty decent. Um, but it kind of loses its way a bit in terms of its overarching plot. The characters around it are fine. The whole thing smacks of them expecting to have made a sequel. And this movie came out in, what, 2016? And as of right now, 2014, even. Um, there is not mention that I'm aware of of them working on a sequel. Um, nor do I think it'd be particularly good because even though... It is technically a Marvel franchise. Let's be honest. It's not like we're going to roll up to Big Hero 6 2 and, or Big Hero 6 Squared, you know, whatever dumb nerd ass title they come up with this. Um, and they're going to have like, I'm the Deceptive Decorier. And we're going to be like, oh, of course, from issue 16. It's not going to happen. And we could argue that like Guardians of the Galaxy, we didn't know what was going on, but I don't know. They were able to, to bring that in and now we know what's going on. And, I mean, I knew about Ego, the living planet, before Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I didn't even think they were ever going to introduce that. So, now I'm just waiting on Galactus. But, yeah, Big Hero 6, pretty decent. Um, honestly, uh, it, it's a little bit because it's right there. But I also think it's it's kind of hovering between a 6 and a 7. And if I had to be honest, I'd probably land closer to 6. It's pretty decent. The jokes are pretty solid. Five out of the six of those points are Baymax just being, like, one of the best supporting characters of, like, any movie. But that's kind of the problem. Is that Hero's the main character and Hero's pretty forgettable. And if it wasn't for Baymax, this movie would be way lower down on the list. Um, I can appreciate the, the, the emotional side of it. I understand the villain's um, motivations, which is always nice. Uh, having moral ambiguity in your villain is one of, like, the best things that you can do for a villain, in my opinion. So, I can certainly appreciate that. Um, so, yeah. I think a, I think a solid six out of ten for Big Hero Six. Not a bad movie, um, but I would rather watch. I would rewatch like Beauty and the Beast and Atlantis: The Lost Empire and a goofy movie and an extreme goofy movie before I watched Big Hero Six again. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty low on my list of things to rewatch. But I'm glad I saw it again because San Francisco was just so fucking cool. The Black Cauldron is a really weird, pretty bad movie. Like, we're talking, like, 4 out of 10 on this one. Like, animation-wise, it's pretty insanely good. The villain and their depiction is kind of absurd. Um, John Hurt just fucking kills it as this horrifying Skeleton King monster that is just obscenely cool. That, coupled with the weirdly amazing soundtrack... Um, make this a, a, like a 4 out of 10. The characters are pretty forgettable outside of that or super annoying. The voice acting isn't great except for John Hurt, but animation, 
John Hurt, and the music of this movie are way too fucking good for what this movie is. Like, if you see this movie, really fixate on those things, and I think you'll have an okay time watching it. I honestly think it's worth hearing that soundtrack and watching the animation, because this was 1985, and to do what they did in 2D animation is is pretty insane. So, yeah, it's got it's got some worthwhile stuff, but it's pretty much only worth seeing if you can appreciate a movie from a technical point of view. If you can't look at it from that side, Black Cauldron is skippable. 4 out of 10. Now, I know I said I wasn't going to do Pixar movies for this one, and that one remains true. Um, but I did see Brave pretty recently, like a month ago. So I wanted to talk about it because it's pretty fresh in my head. Um, and I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna do the Pixar movies. I just need to go back and watch, um, fucking Bugs Life. Ugh. Anyway, let's talk Brave. Um, again, soundtrack, phenomenal. Animation, spot on. Billy Connolly is amazing. Emma Thompson does a great job. Um, the movie is, I'd say a 6 out of 10. And you might, you might think that's a little high. Um, one, I'm a sucker for the, like, the lore and this type of folklore um this culture is something i'm very enamored with and this has nothing to do with the fact that predominantly my family is scottish nothing at all um but i i do really love the the character of merida i love the the dumbness of the plot where it's like i want to change my fate well here's a fucking piece of bread that you can feed to your mom and turn her into a bear can't tell me your fate's not different. That's not really what I was going for, but I I guess I guess my fate's changed. And then like they fall in love anyway. Um that's probably like you know, I'm not gonna fucking win a Pulitzer with this, but Disney's secret is love. There was there has been love in one form or another in every single movie I have seen so far. Every single one of them has had love somewhere in it. Most of the time, it's from romantic love. Sometimes it's the love of nature. Sometimes it's the love between families. Sometimes it's the love between friends. But love has played a role in every single one of them. Every single movie that I've seen, love was involved. You could even argue, like, Mr. Toad loved his car, you know? And Ichabod loved What's-Her-Face. So, love is a role in every single one. So, yeah. And Brave, it's the love between, like, mother and daughter and learning to love yourself. Like, those sorts of things. Learning to love other people for who they are. It's love is love is fucking everywhere. The movies that really fail don't really grasp that. If you find a Disney movie where love is not a big part of the theme or the theme, then you missed something along the way. And that's why your movie failed. You know, Big Hero 6, it was the love for his fallen brother. You know, that's, that's what did it. And... How Baymax was like this conduit where Hero could still connect with uh, Tadashi. So there was this like steps and stuff like that, you know, that familial love and stuff like that. Um, I, you know, Black Cauldron has a romantic interest, so love is involved. Um, but it's between two pretty milk toast characters, so you know you kind of miss the boat on that. Um, but Brave Brave does a uh, does it pretty well, and that is that is pretty much like. The secret to making a good Disney movie is love has to be involved in there somewhere. 
Disney fucking put the goddamn corner on the market when it came to living happily ever after and the, the magic of nostalgia and all of these amazing emotions. And they're all tied to love. That's the secret. It's the Disney secret. You got to put love in your story. If your story doesn't have love, it's shit, according to Disney. So, just just throwing it out there. Um, and honestly, like, romantic love has been pretty low on the list. Like, 101 Dalmatians, a little bit. But that's not the focus of the movie. Aristocats, a little bit. But it's not the focus of the movie. Goofy movie, shh, kind of, because of Roxanne. But then an extremely goofy movie comes around, and Roxanne's just fucking gone. So who, that's clearly not it. Goofy gets a little bit of action in that movie, but again, it's much more about the love between father and son. You know, that's that's kind of the kind of the, the crux of it. Alice in Wonderland is probably the biggest one where it's like there is no love interest for Alice because she's fucking seven years old canonically in the book. Um, that one I would say there's probably love probably doesn't play too big of a role in that one and. To support my statement, it's not a very good movie. It's just kind of a loose association of shit. So, there you go. Even Bambi has love. Um, again, not really the point of the movie, but it's there. Um, I don't. Re the point of that movie is just more of like, here's the life of this deer, but what is life without love? You know, it's pretty boring. Um, so, yeah, love is, love is a pretty big part. So, Brave gets a, what did I say, 6 out of 10? I'd say that's pretty fair. Yeah, I like, I like Brave. I'd watch it again right now. The fourth Disney movie I've seen in my marathon of the animal goes away from the home and spends the entire movie coming back to the home has just concluded. And that was 2008 Bull, which I, to be perfectly honest, I, I was going to skip it because I'm like, oh, fucking really? And there's a couple of movies on this list where I will absolutely sit there and be like, oh, fuck, really? I have to see this? Ugh. And that's, like, a lot of what I have to sit through next, like Brave Little Toaster and all that fucking donkey shit. Anyway, um, it was much better than I remember it being. It is, so far, it's the it's the first movie to almost make me cry. It, 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 I got a little tearied up. And that was when, um, when, like, Bolt and Miley Cyrus just straight up almost died. And he's, like, all sad and puppy and sad. Um, but it does a pretty good job with the formula. I mean, I'm getting a little burnt out on that formula of the pet being abandoned, essentially, and then spending the whole movie trying to reunite with their family. Fortunately, it doesn't look like I'm going to have to deal with that plotline again for a little while. Probably not to, like, Fox and the Hound would be my guess. Um, and that's all the way in the Fs. Like, we got, we got a whole bunch of other letters to get through first. Um, yeah, it's, it's not bad. I mean, I mean, the, the animation in the beginning I thought was kind of bad. Um, but it, it, it looks, it looks pretty good. I want to give a special note, uh, in this movie for having Rhino, um, voiced not by like a well-known actor or something like that. Um, but by a fucking storyboard artist. Uh, who happened to work at Disney at the time. Uh, they they worked on a lot of different movies. Their name is Mark Walton. Um, and they voiced a couple of like roles um, in a couple of the movies that they've worked on. I just thought it was interesting that it was like, oh, you're just 
you you worked on the movie and you provided the voice for a character. That's really cool. Um, I think that'd be that'd be awesome. So, big big props on that. And I also want to point out that it's really interesting to me that a lot of these movies are directed by multiple people. Like this movie was directed by two people. Black Cauldron was directed by two people. Beauty and the Beast was directed by two people. Like there's a lot of a lot of mult like duos working on these movies. Frozen was directed by two people. It's it's just like I don't know. It just thought it was it was interesting to see all these things just kind of they all have two people. But with Bolt, I'd give it like a fucking f- probably five out of ten. It's not bad. It's pretty. It's pretty middle of the road, um, but it's it, it it does a pretty good job. Um, there's also a, a really big theme. I mean, I know it's in this one, and the only other, like the biggest comparison I can have for this movie besides of it being an animal goes away and an animal comes back movie would be like Toy Story two with like the whole like Jesse is abandoned subplot is the exact same story that we got here for Mittens. So. You know, I mean, you can't say Disney doesn't have formulas. Um, I think there's just a lot more than people thought. Um, and it's kind of getting to the point where I'm going to be looking at future Disney movies and being like, ah, well, this is the exact same storyline that they used in Cillerenda. I should go to bed. Cinderella is what I meant to say. Cinderella 2 Dreams Come True. So, yeah. What's next? Um, Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars. I'm kind of scared to watch that one, to be perfectly honest with you. Because my memory is that movie terrified the ever-living shit out of me. And I don't remember exactly what it is about that movie that scares me. But there is something in that movie that scares me. Also, that isn't... Who the fuck made Brave Little Toaster? That wasn't Disney. Right? Brave Little Toaster came out in 1987. Was that Disney? No. Okay, apparently Brave Little Toaster in 1987 was like an animated musical. So how did Disney get a hold of this? Because it's on there. It says Disney's Brave Little Toaster. And I'm sitting here being like... What is this? Um... Uh... do 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 so Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue and Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars are the two specific ones on Disney Plus. The first one isn't on there. Um, uh, interesting. So Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue is the second film chronologically, and Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars is the third one. Apparently they were they were made for like straight to DVD Disney. Um, I mean yeah, that's what it says. All right. Nah, well, fuck me then, I guess. It's just... Gotta deal with that one next. It's got Thurl's Ravenscroft in it. That'd be one of the last things he did. Because Thurl's Ravenscroft died in 2005? Oh, he hung in there. Yeah, that's gotta be one of the last things he ever did. Um, fuck me, what a legend. Thurl's Ravenscroft. Alright, well... Fucking... Those are next. I don't think I ever saw Brave Little Toaster to the rescue. I know one of these movies scared me. And I'm, I'm terrified to see... Which one it is. Because, quite frankly, I'm just like, I don't I don't really want to go down this rabbit hole with either of these movies. Um, cool. Great. Awesome. 
You know what I was thinking when I was watching Bolt? I was thinking, boy, you know, I wish I could see this exact same movie again, but like, just a little different. Thank God. Because 101 Dalmatians 2, Patch's London Adventure, is basically that. It's basically Bolt again. Even the dog's name is fucking Thunderbolt, and he has a specially loud bark. It's kind of absurd. Disney plagiarized itself, because Patch's Adventure in London came out in 2003, a whole fucking, what, five years before Bolt, so it's not even like time had passed. It's, God damn it, guys. Oh, man. So, yeah, that movie is... Bolt is better. As, as far as dog being on a TV show does, like, real dog heroes, heroics, Bolt is better. Bolt took the, the idea of Patch's London Adventure and did it better. Um, so, like, as a result, it's it's pretty inferior to, like, it's bad. I mean, Patch's London Adventure isn't worth seeing. Um, I do enjoy watching these straight-to-DVD uh, adventures, though, because it allows me to be like, Hey, that's Maurice LaMarche and Jeff Bannon and Jim Cummings and all these amazing voice actors that I love to bits. Just, like, everywhere. Um, in these, in these old movies or in these shit movies. Um, but yeah, this is like a fucking three out of 10. Like there's nothing redeeming about it. It's not funny. It's not like heartfelt. There's no, there's nothing to be gained from watching this movie. It's just fucking fit. So skip it. Don't even, don't even worry about it. It's just, it's not worth it at all. So yeah, there you go. One of the biggest problems I have with with this structure of, of movie reviewing is that most everything is painfully average, and I just witnessed uh, Bugs Life again for the first time since I don't even know when. And I always discounted Bugs Life. Yeah, they want to watch Bugs. No, no, I don't. I don't want to watch Bugs Life. Why not? Cause it's it's fine. It's fairly inoffensive, but it's also like, it's like 28 minutes longer than most of these movies have been. Therefore, it felt like a fucking eternity. It's an hour and 38 minutes long. It's not even that long, but it still felt much longer because A, the story isn't much, you know, there's not a whole lot going on there, but it's just also kind of like, uh... And, like, I remember bits from when I was a kid, and even those bits, I'm still just like, it's not, it's not really all that, all that exciting, I don't know. They're talking like a, like a fucking four out of ten. Like, it's not, it's pretty boring, I would say. It's, it's fairly inoffensive, but you're not gonna really have a, a good time watching it. It's not gonna make you laugh. It's just gonna be what it is, and you're just gonna be like, yeah, it was Bugs Life. I, I had it in my head that the fucking Hopper was voiced by James Woods, but nah, it's voiced by Kevin Spacey. Maybe, I feel like James Woods did the voice, maybe in like a cartoon or something. I can't remember, but nah, it's Kevin, it's Kevin Spacey. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's skippable. You don't need to see it. You ever really don't. Even if you're marathoning this shit like I am, it's just not worth it. Just give it a skip for out of 10. Alright, we, we've, we've met our first movie I was unable to finish. I made it about halfway through, but the second Gilbert Gottfried started singing a second song, 
I, I, I tapped out. I'll add a return of Jafar, zero out of 10. Not, nope, not doing it. Can't do it. Can't make me. That one is, the animation is abysmal. I can appreciate the humor of Gilbert Gottfried as much as anybody, really. I don't really find him all that funny, but you can't give the dude with the, like, the, the, that voice two musical numbers. One, I was like, really? Okay, well, hopefully they don't do this again. And he starts coming back in with another musical number, and I'm just like, nope, can't, can't do it. Can't even give it, like, credit for bringing back most of the original cast. I mean, obviously Robin Williams isn't there. He's in the other one, but he isn't in this one. Um, and instead, it's um, Dan Castellan. I think I spoke about this already. It's it's Homer. And he sounds like Homer at times, which admittedly was pretty fun. Um, and, like, Aladdin and Jasmine are the same people. And obviously, Iago and Jafar are the same people, too. But it's just like, I can't do it. Couldn't finish it. Zero out of ten. Fucking unwatchable garbage. Oh, God, it's playing again. Never again. Never, never again. Can't, can't make me. Zero out of ten. Do not watch it. Thanks for listening to uh, this, my first 18 uh, Disney movies reviewed for for this. Um, if you guys have any suggestions or recommendations or things you want me to do with the podcast or books you want me to read or anything, just, you know, hit me up at goingupcast at gmail.com. Uh, ideas, suggestions. I'm, I'm still brainstorming. I'm still trying to figure it out. I really don't want this to just kind of up and die. Um, but I, I'm... Not not coming up with a whole heck of a lot, to be perfectly honest with you. I just need to read more interesting books. Because 20,000 Leagues was absolutely not interesting. So, I feel like if I just read shorter books, we would be, we'd be fine. So, that's kind of where I'm leaning towards now. But any ideas or suggestions or comments or concerns or whatever, just hit me up at goingcast.gmail.com. Hope you're all having a good week. Um, and I'll, I'll see you all, all next time. Have a good one, everyone.